Welcome to Season 5 of Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. Each episode this season will be a chapter from the second book in the Enchanted Castle Archives, The Beastly Beauty. In Season 1, our heroine, Ash, was warned multiple times to stay away from the Enchanted Castle, and if she ever saw it coming toward her, to run. Now, she finds the Enchanted Castle, or, perhaps more accurately, it finds her. Will prophecy come true? Can she escape when she finds out the truth of Cecil's warning that every castle wants a princess? Listen and find out. Chapter 4 Generations ago, a courier who asked politely when he entered the enchanted forest could be sure of riding across it and exiting to another kingdom in less than a day, without any stretching or warping or massive loss of time. Before the enchanted castle was torn free of its roots and wandered the enchanted forest, before the wandering got so bad that it tore the enchanted forest free of its moorings in time, before there was no way out of the enchanted forest, without months passing on the outside before the portal opened again, before the portals opened and shut in an unpredictable schedule. Ah, but I know some who don't think they're unpredictable, Shiler winked at Ash. Oh, yes, the ones who spent years studying the reports of those who stumbled in and stumbled out again months, even years later. Dolphus shook his head, then drained his tankard. How can you trust someone who went half mad from exposure and avoiding the enchanted castle trying to take him prisoner and never knowing where you are in the forest because there's no sun and no moon? How can there be no sun or moon? Ash blurted. Isn't there day or night in the forest? Well, Arlie said, there is and there isn't. There's light and there's darkness and stars. But you're never sure where the light comes from in the day. It only makes sense if you think about it. I was there when Philby was tending a man who vanished for eight years before he made his way back. To his reckoning, he was only gone seven months. He was being chased by bandits and went through a portal without realizing what he had done. He fell through at night and didn't catch any landmarks. He had no way to know where the portal was anchored on the other side. He spent an entire month searching all the forest, until he found all the portals, and then he wore out his horse racing from one to another until he found the one that looked right. <laughs> but it wasn't. He came out on the other side of the world, in Rationale. And that's why he went mad, Rifus said. This time he spat into the fire. Those people are crazy. They spend their time studying things like philosophy and science when they should pay attention to magic. That's why they've lost most of the magic on the entire continent, not just that one kingdom. It's a disease of the mind and soul, he snorted. They even deny they have a portal in Rationale. Doesn't stop people from falling through. Dadrian, enchanter to King Dayon of Cartes, postulates that science and magic are two different kinds of energy, complete opposites, Shiler said. They cancel each other out. No, no, Arlie said. He didn't go mad from visiting Rationale. He found someone with a map to get to the portal in Festra. There are only two on that entire insane continent. He waited until it opened, to get back into the forest. He repeated what he did the first time, 
and kept trying portals, jumping out into other kingdoms, figuring out where he was and jumping back through before it closed. Finally, he came out a portal in Camerlang and decided to go overland back to Inderweil. When he learned he had been gone more than eight years, he broke inside and fell ill, and other couriers found him and brought him to Philby. Arlie shuddered. The enchanted forest is a dangerous place, even for those of us who know the right words and are polite and careful. How many portals are there? Ash asked. How far apart are they? How quickly do they open and close again? You're not planning on going there and exploring, are you? Dolphus asked. Rifus and Shyler chuckled. No, not me. Ash wrapped her arms around herself. The shivering from deep inside wasn't entirely from cold. A sense of excitement gripped her, and she couldn't understand why. I just think it would be helpful if more was known about the place, so people could avoid trouble. Couriers get chased by bandits constantly, don't we? Or king's soldiers and spies disguised as bandits, Rifus said. The other couriers offered bits of information they had heard in stories from those who had either been chased into the enchanted forest or stumbled through a portal by accident. They confirmed what she had read. No two portals looked alike. In one kingdom, a portal was a tunnel in a sheer wall of craggy rock covered with ivy. In another kingdom, it was an archway formed by fallen trees, with sunlight slanting through from the wrong direction, or just a shimmer like water in the air. Shyler scowled into the fire. The forest used to be friendlier. It kept you out sometimes, and it liked to change the paths, so you got lost and wasted time you couldn't spare. But it never tried to keep you there once you were in and you wanted to get out. It got angry when the castle broke loose of its anchors and knocked the forest loose. So now the forest doesn't play nice with anyone. What kind of anchors? Ash asked. No one knows, Dolphus said with a shrug. Lots of stories, but no one can be sure of anything, because you have to get into the castle to anchor it, and no one has ever gone in and come out again. There's a song my granny used to sing to us when we were wee bitty ones, about a blade that was broken, and needing another blade and a long jump and holding the castle fast. Like when the thief Fargus stole the casket with the queen's laughter, and the hero Balthar pinned him in place with knives through his sleeves and the toes of his boots. Take an awfully big knife blade to pin the enchanted castle, Arlie said. Shyler snorted. The only thing anyone needs to know about the enchanted castle is to never go in. The only thing you need to know about the enchanted forest is that if you get in, get back out as fast as you can. Though she rode swiftly, time seemed to drag until Ash neared the border of Machpelin, the last kingdom between her and Alfordia. She had gone far east and then north to avoid the kingdoms she had passed through before. There was a particularly nasty tracking spell that awoke if the prey retraced its steps. The purple sky magicians had a reputation for using the nastiest spells possible. Once over the border of Camerlang into Macpelin, she had a short ride, maybe four miles, until she entered the final cavern on Justiciar Camwell's list. The four miles, however, could be tricky. Macpelin was a problematic kingdom, far too willing to rewrite situations and events to suit whatever their current need or complaint might be. 
the current proverb, was that a kingdom's reasonableness was in converse proportion to its size. Machpelin seemed resolved to make up for its size by causing as much diplomatic turmoil as possible, as often as possible. The fairy kin had stopped being amused by the hereditary insanity of Machpelin's rulers and gave Philby and her couriers a dimensional passage to cross the kingdom quickly. However, the doorway to that passage lay in a cavern four miles inside the border. To complicate matters, when Ash stopped at the station house in Camerlang, Station Master Yoli had asked her to carry a message from King Marcos to King Abrosian of Alfordia. Camerlang wasn't an enemy of Machpelin, but it wasn't a friend either. There was no predicting how the border guards would react to seeing the king's emblem on a sealed letter, if they chose to search Ash's courier pouch. Then again, they might not search her at all. Again, there was no predicting. The king's insanity affected the entire kingdom. Fang thinks you're being foolish, the ring reported, as they approached the border crossing. How? Ash smiled when Garin's ears twitched at the sound of her voice. Did he wonder if she was talking to him? He thinks you should simply change your clothes. Don't wear your uniform. If the border guards or one of the random patrols looking for a fight search me and find my uniform, I'd be considered a spy. I tried to explain that to him. He thinks clothes in general are ridiculous. He's right, she admitted with a chuckle. Yet, would she have been able to do the things she had done, growing up, if she hadn't been able to disguise herself as a boy? She had no more time to consider such things. The border crossing station lay ahead of her. If she could see the wall stretching out from either side of the road until it vanished into the trees, then the guards could see her. She prayed for a peaceful kingdom and no special orders regarding the wealthy or powerful or couriers. Please tell Fang not to do anything unless I yell his name, she murmured, and kept her gaze on the guard in the dark green uniform, who stepped out from the shelter and raised a hand, signaling her to stop. As if she wouldn't stop? That gate was too high for her horse to jump, even if she had sent Garin into a full gallop. Ring? Ash nearly pulled up on the reins, startled by his silence. Now was not the time for him to get distracted. I'm sorry. Yes, I know you hate hearing me say that constantly. I don't say it that often, you know. What's... She scolded herself to keep their conversation in her mind. She didn't need those border guards seeing her lips moving and wondering if a madwoman approached them. Or worse, preparing a spell to use against them. What's wrong, she thought. I fear Lathia's hired brigands are near. There's a seeking spell at work. Tuned to me, of course, using my link with her ring. We really must do something to free my friend from that deplorable child. Did no one ever tell her that nobles have far more responsibilities than privileges? Ring, you're nattering. How close are they? Can you tell if they're on MacPellan's side of the border or Camerlang's? Huh. You're right. I'm nattering. I should have considered. Just a moment, Lady Ashlyn. She grinned. That teasing address meant he was calming down. Then she was fifty paces from the border, and those guards with their hands on the swords at their hips. Was this standard practice for these guards, or more posturing than preparation for attack? Or had Lathia's magicians traveled this far, 
and convinced the officials of Camerlang that everyone approaching the border, whether entering or leaving, was a threat. And how could they know what kingdom's borders she was approaching on her roundabout route back home to Alfordia and Castle Fairhold? And how could they know what kingdom's borders she was approaching on her roundabout route back home to Alfordia and Castle Fairhold? Now you're mentally nattering, the ring said. And no, the magic doesn't allow them to identify you at the distance I sense. They are merely seeking, right now. However, the closer they get to us, the easier it is for them to identify you, especially if there are few people nearby. We need to lose ourselves in a crowd. <laughs> Problem. Ash nodded to the guard, who gestured for her to guide her horse to the left of the gate. A second guard stepped up to take the reins of her horse. There are no towns between here and the cavern entrance. If they're on the same road we're traveling, how many people do we need to have around us to confuse them, she thought to the ring. One thing at a time. I will go silent, in case they have a simple sensing spell attached to the communication link between spirit rings. Ash nodded, to him and to the guard who gestured for her to step away from her horse. He pointed to a table out in the open, just a few paces away, with a chair on either side. He sat down and studied the badge on her shoulder before gesturing for her to take the chair facing him. Well, Lady Philby hires younger and younger. He smiled, looking a little too weary for so early in the day. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. Ash took encouragement from him saying Lady Philby and his tone of respect. It took all her self-control not to turn to look at her horse directly behind her. Now for the tricky part. She and the ring and Fang had agreed on this approach for handling all border crossings. So far, no one had reacted with anger or disbelief. There was always a first time, though. I should warn you that the basket behind my saddle holds an extremely cranky bunny. He bites if you wake him from his nap. A bunny, you say? Do they really have magic? He leaned forward, resting his elbows on the table. Was he actually interested? This is the only one I've met, but yes, he does have magic. And a foul temper. He won't attack if I open the basket, if you want to verify my words. Are you delivering him to someone? To take part in some sort of ritual? Some spell requiring... The guard shook his head. No, forget I asked. I've been reading all sorts of warnings and speculative reports. All sorts of uprisings and rebellions in other kingdoms. Idiots trying to commandeer magic that doesn't belong to them. Steal it from those who earned it. We've learned to trust Lady Philby and her people. No sense in keeping you here any longer than necessary. He half rose from his seat and gestured to the men behind Ash. When the guard finished asking what had become a routine, standard list of questions, he escorted her to the gate, officially letting her into Machpelin, and handed her over to the guards on the other side of the border. They merely had her sign a paper listing what she brought with her. No searching of her horse or bags, and especially not the basket, where Fang slept and whistle snored slightly. Ash was relieved he did sleep soundly enough to make those noises. It meant his magically enhanced sense for trouble hadn't awakened. She hoped Fang snored and whistled and slept all the way to the cavern. Less than twenty minutes after she dismounted at the Camerlang side of the border, she climbed back into the saddle in Macpelin, nodded her thanks to the guards, turned her horse, and trotted away.
Now she needed to pray for a crowded road ahead of her, so if the purple sky detected the ring, they couldn't find her in the crowd. The ring was sure that before they were close enough to focus on her, he would sense them and warn her in time to flee. Hopefully, the courier uniform would deflect their interest, so they would focus on someone more likely to be a girl disguised as a boy. The road ahead disappointed her with its emptiness. Ash resisted the temptation to move from the energy-saving trot of long-distance travel to a ground-devouring mad-dash gallop. She would tire her horse, and likely just before she needed most to run for her life. That was always how it happened in poems and stories, with a blatant moral of, don't be an idiot, plan ahead. Besides, racing like she had fire demons on her tail would just attract attention she didn't need. Any innocent travelers on the road ahead would be immediately suspicious, even fearful, if she suddenly slowed to ride with them. They would rightly assume she was using them to hide from trouble, and they wouldn't welcome her. Riding at a sensible pace was the hardest thing she had done since letting Philby pierce her ears and insert her first pair of earrings. She thought she had felt naked when she put on her first skirt since the flood that swept her to Tippesee. This was harder, more exposed than that. One mile behind us, the ring announced. Ash nearly yanked on the reins. She pulled herself out of her tangled thoughts in time to see the marker post before Garin trotted past it. One down, three to go, she said. Fang thumped hard on the basket, jolting against her back. She laughed, recognizing the difference in the force. He wasn't complaining that she had awakened him, but teasing her about her obliviousness. You're right. You're both right, she hurried to add, sensing what the ring would add in another moment. I haven't been paying attention. That's foolish. I shouldn't put all our defensive work on you. Several softer thumps against her back. Considering Fang's strength, those were reassuring pats. Soon, he would resume whistle-snoring. They rode on in silence, until she wondered why the ring hadn't teased her or started a lesson of some kind, or at least a philosophical discussion about ignoring the landscape to indulge in speculations. It might be useful to use your flute and call up a hazing spell around us, the ring said. Is someone watching us from hiding? Ash pulled up the hood of her cloak to hide the movements of her head as she looked from side to side. They passed another marker, another half-mile behind them. She brought out her flute, but now she had to decide between several hazing tunes. Just the magical senses? Or eyes and magical senses combined? I sense seeking, but whoever is hunting hasn't found us yet, the ring said, after another thoughtful pause. If they sense us, they might see us as well? Ah, good point, he said. Ring, are you all right? She winced, speaking inside her head hurt, just a little, pulse points of needle-like stabs at her temples. No, I fear not. The ring's voice seemed to wobble in her head. I fear I am betraying you. I don't understand, she whispered. Why is talking in my head hurting now? Silence. She feared to ask him again, either in her mind or aloud. I do betray you, he said, when they had passed the post showing they had put two miles behind them. They were halfway to the cavern. How? she said. The power tracking us is linked to me. 
It's working around the blinding magic Lady Philby wove around me. As we feared, it is using the bond between all spirit rings and between magical items in the service of a particular individual. What terrifies me is that I can feel the presence of more powerful, far older magical items. They have a taste and a scent from the realm that only the most ancient, knowledgeable magical folk dare approach. Where magical items are so old and powerful, they come near to having minds and souls. But isn't that what you are, she said? What you have done? Oh, my dear lady. The ring's voice vibrated like it tried to laugh. Spirit rings are indeed alert, sentient beings. But whether we lost our souls or never had them doesn't matter now. Let's save such discussions for more leisurely times. What matters is that we have been granted an opportunity by Athiosius to, well, to be rather simplistic. We have the opportunity to earn souls, or perhaps purify and redeem our damaged souls, through service, through humility. By harnessing our magical power and potential to Athiosius's plan and purpose, the magical traditions of other lands speak of all sorts of powerful beings who, as a condition, let us say, of their limitless power, are limited. They can only employ that power in the service of another, never for their own purpose and profit. I fear someone has found ancient magical items, taken them from the place where they were put away, locked away to protect the world from their power. They are being used to latch on to the magic binding me, getting my taste and scent, to find you. What do we do? Ash snorted and nearly slapped her own forehead. I know what we do. I haze us. What tune? Follow your instincts. Trust the guarding and guiding magic woven into you. Ash would have preferred a specific tune. She tied the reins to the front loops of her saddle, where she tied the bundles of courier pouches. She raised the flute to her lips, inhaled slowly and deeply, and held still, or as still as she could, riding at a gentle rocking trot. She wanted to snatch the reins into her hands and race the last two miles to the safety of the cavern. Now that someone had caught their magical scent, that was the worst, most attention-catching thing she could do. A large patch of forest lay ahead, with the road wrapping around it going to the right, so she couldn't see very far. That was the most likely place to run into other travelers, a good place for an ambush. She needed that hazing spell to start working before people saw her. Vanishing or turning into a blur would just draw curiosity, maybe prompt people with minor magical gifts to employ them, to discern what had happened. Such magical activity would draw the attention of whoever was seeking her. There's no way to win this battle, is there, she thought. Another stab in her temples. Now irritation turned to anger, the dangerous kind that could prompt her to react without thinking. Trust Othiosius and prepare, the ring told her. Ah, good, look ahead. Ash raised her head and exhaled in relief. They had come around the bend in the road, and the way ahead was fairly straight for some distance, with forest on only one side. Another road met hers. Several wagons and a number of mounted people slowly trundled down the road in the direction she was headed. She would soon pass them. 
Play, the ring said. She had to decide on the hazing tune quickly before someone in that group ahead heard her horse's hoofbeats and looked back and saw her fade out of sight. Can you make Fang sleep more soundly? the ring asked. I don't know. She tried not to force the niggling, glimmering little idea out of the shadows at the edges of her spinning thoughts. That would only make it crumple and die before she could see it clearly. You thought of something, the ring said. We at Yield Dragon Books hope you're enjoying this story and looking forward to Ash, Fang, and the Spirit Ring's further adventures. When the beastly beauty ends, we'll jump to another adventure of Odessa Fremont in the Guardians of the Time Stream series with the Blue Lotus Society. S has been a Pinkerton agent for several years now and facing the most challenging assignment yet as she meets up with people who know her missing grandparents and know far more about her past than she does. After the Blue Lotus Society, we'll go on to the second book in the Stewards World series, the sequel to Plantwise, called The White Wolf. While you're listening to these two books, I'll be working on book three of the Enchanted Castle Archives, called The Disenchanted Prince. If you'd like your own copy of The Beastly Beauty, either in paper, ebook, or audiobook, please visit Ye Old Dragon Books or the Ye Old Dragons Library Patreon page for updates and to find out how to pre-order at a discount. We hope you enjoyed today's chapter. For more information on all the books and series featured in this podcast, or to purchase the ebook or audiobook for future reading and listening pleasure, please visit yeolddragonbooks.com. You can also find more information about our books and purchase ebooks on our Patreon page, Ye Old Dragons Library. Please consider supporting the podcast to gain access to free stories or discounts or a chance to purchase a new book in advance of release. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ye Old Dragons Library.